One of the uh, sometimes Sunday evening things that we do around our house is we just are kind of chilling and, um, and getting over the weekend and getting ready for work is we'll just kind of lay around, um, eat a good meal on Sunday night, watch some TV, play some games, build Legos now, um, just some things like that. And often, uh, one thing that's on TV on Sunday evenings, at least over the summer, is the show Family Feud. Does anyone like Family Feud? Okay. So uh, Steve Harvey and all of his funny antics and all those things. And then in the summer, I think they have uh, particularly, they call it Celebrity Family Feud. Now, I have to be honest, um, a lot of the quote-unquote celebrities are on there. I don't really know they're celebrities. Uh, they're just people that I'll always recognize. Uh, but one time that show was on recently at our house, and the question was, how do you know if a person is lying to you? Okay, that was the question. How do you know if a person is lying to you? So it's like, survey says, right? All the whole deal with the family feud. And some of the answers were uh, what you would expect. Um, their eyes are darting around, right? Uh, they're sweating. Uh, they're pacing. They may turn a different shade, right? Things like this. These are ways that you would know that a person is lying to you. But one of the answers on the top, whatever it was, list of family feud how do you know if a person is lying to you? And the survey said, the surveyed answer, ding, was their lips are moving. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting answer. If this person is talking, they are probably lying. Some of you are like, I know that guy. I know the person that made the survey. So we're in this series called Omnipotence. I told you last week that the word omnipotence means all-powerful. Omni means all-potent, uh, uh, means powerful, so all-powerful. And the gist of this series, and I laid a lot of groundwork last week, so if you missed last week, you can go back and listen if you want to, are interested in kind of the groundwork for this series. But as part of the groundwork, we said that what that means is that God can do anything that he wants or imagines that is in accordance with who he is. It is in accordance with his nature, that he cannot violate or contradict his nature, that God is always true to who God is. If you were to read God's job description, it's just simply always God. Everything, every time, every way, he is just always God. That's what he does every single time. And so last week we talked about that because of who God is, God cannot sin. And the reason he cannot sin is because he is absolutely and completely holy. He is pure. He is without sin in every way. It is impossible for God to sin. That He does not even have the ability, the capacity to sin because of who he is. Because of who he is, because he is holy, the second thing we're going to talk about today is it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. So because God is holy, holy holiness has to do with the idea of God's absolute moral and ethical perfection in every way all the time. That God is eternally perfect. Eternally perfect. Eternally holy. Never gets it wrong, always gets it right. Now, I have to tell you, I'm not telling you that so that you can use that as ammo in conversations with your spouse. You can't use like, oh, so I get it. You and God are the only ones who are never wrong. 
you and God are the only ones who are absolutely right all the time, okay? So everybody promise you're not going to use it as ammo in your next conversation with your spouse where the husband's obviously wrong, because that's usually the way it is, right? And so you can't use that as ammo for your spouse. Holiness has to do with God is absolutely right all the time, in every way, absolutely perfect. It also has to do with the idea that God is, because he is absolutely right, absolutely perfect, completely holy, that he is set apart from his creation. The idea of holiness is the, the idea that God has been set apart. What that means is we are not holy. He is different from us. This notion has to do, here's the big kind of theological word for it, with the transcendence of God. Now, transcendence is not just a weird Johnny Depp movie, if you saw that. Uh, transcendence means that God exists above and independent from us. In other words, let me break it to you, God does not need you. God does not need me. God does not need us. He is set apart from us. He is completely independent of us. He is not dependent upon us in any way. Now, I don't know what your idea of like why God created the world and created humanity is, but I can tell you what it was not. God was not just sitting in eternity past and thinking, man, I'm really lonely. I just wish I had someone to talk to. I wish I had someone I could identify with. I wish I had someone to hang out with. I think I'll create humans to overcome my loneliness. That is not what happened. God does not need us in any way. He's completely holy, completely transcendent. And so what that means is that God does not conform to any human standard of what is pure, what is moral, what is ethical. He does not conform to our standard of integrity. God is the standard. He is the defining mark. I used it last week in the terms that we could understand, right? God is the first down marker. He is the standard that's like, this is what qualifies. Like, here's the standard. You have to get to here. God is the standard. He does not conform to our standard in any way. God determines right and wrong. God determines good and evil. And because God is holy and unlike us, when he speaks, he cannot lie. Now, here's what I want you to say about that. That means more than just God chooses not to lie. It means that God does not even have the capacity or the ability to lie. Because He is completely holy in every way. God cannot even choose to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. God cannot deceive. God cannot manipulate. God cannot exaggerate. God cannot distort. God cannot misrepresent the truth. Lying is against who God is, against his very nature. Uh, Numbers 23, 19. You might want to mark this day down. Might be one of the few times I quote from the book of Numbers. But here we go. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? God is unable to lie. Now what I said last week that is equally as important in this series is we can do and we do 
things that God cannot do. Let me say that again. We can do and we do things that God cannot do. Here's what that means for today. We lie. Everyone has lied. Has anyone not lied before? I see that hand. I'm just kidding. You, people turned to see who the person was that was holding their hand up. Everyone has lied. Everyone qualifies. You're all qualified liars today, right? Let's just get it off our chest. We do this sometimes at City Church just to, to get it off our chest. You can, I'm going to give you the freedom right now to say it out loud. We're all going to say it out loud together. I am a liar, okay? Now, no, no recording devices. Can Again, there's nothing we can use in the future. But when I say three, we're just going to all get it off our chest. So we're going to say it as loudly as you choose. I am a liar, okay? One, two, three. I am a liar. Whoever didn't say it, you just lied. And so now you qualify. Here's what's a little bit frightening for us. At some level, we are all constant liars. Because even when we do not intend to be, even when we are a little bit unconscious of it, we are unconscious, consistent, constant liars. Most of us would like to say we are against lying, particularly if it's someone just lies to our face about something, right? We would like to say that we are against lying unless it's a little white lie. We do it, don't we? We lie to impress. We exaggerate job applications. We exaggerate past accomplishments. I'll confess right now, Ash will say on occasion, like, Every time you tell that story, it gets a little more out there, I have to admit. So at this point, I'm not even sure what the truth is on some of the stories I, have to, I tell. I'm, uh, we, we exaggerate stories. We lie to discredit people. We stretch the truth to take advantage of situations. If you're a parent growing up, how many times has that seven-year-old suddenly turned five years old because you had to pay extra money once they reached six? Are you with me? We stretch the truth. We fib to make money. We lie some, many times just because a lie is more convenient than the truth. Do these pants make me look fat moments of life? Right? Just we, we lie to our kids, to our spouse, our family, our friends. If you're a parent, you know kids lie to avoid punishment. Uh, I've told the story about Reagan before. I have to tell this Reagan story because it's like the only story I can tell about Reagan because uh, Reagan's got in trouble like one time in her entire life. The one time that Reagan got in trouble is when she was a little girl and I told her not to eat a certain thing. It was like a, a Rice Krispie treat or something. It was like right before dinner. It's like, Daddy, can I have this? I'm like, no, you need to wait. We're getting ready to, to have dinner. Just wait till after dinner. And then suddenly the Rice Krispie treat was gone. And so I walked into Reagan's room, and guess what was in her trash can? Rice Krispie Treat wrapper. Not only is she a terrible liar, but she's terrible at covering it up. Like, at least be better than throwing it in your trash can. Reagan, did you eat the Rice Krispie Treat? No. No? <laughs> look, look what's in your trash can, right? So she lied to try to avoid punishment. By the way, all of us adults, that really never goes away. 
We cover up stuff all the time. You ever lie about what you're doing on the clock? And you're supposed to be working? Like we cover things up. We hide the truth. We manipulate. We deceive. We are dishonest on our tax returns. We are hardwired to lie. We can and we do what God cannot do. We are natural born liars. Let me be sober about this for a second. We kind of laugh it off. And the reason we kind of laugh it off is because we do fail to recognize how reprehensible sin is to a holy God. We fail to recognize that. So we kind of laugh it off and we white lie it and we, well, I stretch the truth because we really fail to recognize just how detestable our sin is to a holy God. As a matter of fact, did you know that Proverbs 6 says that a lying tongue is one of the things that God hates? Like there's very few things in Scripture that say is labeled things God hates. One of them is a lying tongue. So let me take this at a deeper level outside of like, oh, now I feel bad about lying because that's not gospel preaching, right? Sin at its core is believing a lie. It is believing a lie about who God is. It's believing a lie that in this moment, I'm choosing not to tell the truth because in this moment, I don't trust God. In this moment, I don't trust God in this moment. And so it's believing a lie about who God is. It's also believing a lie about ourselves, who we are. We believe in that moment something different about what will bring us happiness or fulfillment or purpose or contentment or joy or peace or meaning in life. As a matter of fact, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. In the opening scene of the Bible, we find the lie behind all lies from the father of lies. Jesus called him. Again, it's his nature. It's Satan's nature, the devil's nature, to be a liar. That's what he does. God cannot lie. Satan lies. That's his nature. It is who he is. And so we have this opening scene of the text. God has created all things that are good. He places Adam and Eve in the garden with one specific instruction, right? Show your obedience to me by abstaining uh, from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then that's when Satan enters the picture in Genesis chapter 3 in what we call the fall. Uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So that's the truth. What God had said was the truth. Look at how Satan turns this in verse 4. The first lie behind the lies. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And then look at the kind of twofold nature of the lie here. And you will be one, like God, two, knowing good and evil. So there's the lie. You'll be like God, knowing good and even. So, so evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin 
cloths. And so here we have, again, Genesis 3, the lie behind the lies. Now, what are the lies that Satan gets Adam and Eve to believe? One, I don't need God. I don't need God. There's this lie of self-independence, of self-sufficiency, that we distance ourselves from God. I don't need God. And built into that lie is this lie in the text. Right and wrong are defined by me. I define right and wrong. My wants, my needs, my desires, I determine what I want. I determine what is right and what is wrong. So that's the twofold lie behind all lies. In this moment, I don't need God. I'm self-dependent. I'm self-independent. I distance myself from God in this moment to get what I want. And that's the second lie, right? I determine right or wrong. My, my wants, my needs, my desires determine what I should or should not have. Here's how Paul describes sin in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. That we exchange, exchange the truth about God for a lie. Paul says, we exchange truth for a lie which leads us to worship and serve the creation, the creatures, and not the Creator. So Paul picks, in Romans 1, picks right up from Genesis 3. And he says, what we, how we live life as sinners is that we exchange God's truth for a lie. And the lie is that I get what I want. That the, the creature is more important than the Creator. And so as natural born sinners, we buy into this lie that we don't need God in this moment and that I know what's best for me. We call it idolatry of the heart. That in this moment, I am replacing God on the throne of my heart with me. My wants, my needs, my desires. You've heard me say before, idolatry for us is not like I'm bowing down to a metal image or a you know, a golden idol, idolatry for us is in this moment I'm placing something where in the spot in my life, in my heart, my mind that is reserved for God and God alone. And what we're saying in that moment is we're buying into the lie. I don't need God in this moment. What I need is this. What I need is for this to happen. What I need is for this money. What I need is for the person to think I did this, right? In that moment... What I want is more important than God's desires for me. That is the direction of Romans chapter 1. And that's why the gospel invitation to follow Jesus is a call to the truth. So let me give you kind of a definition here for faith I think is important. Saving faith. Saving faith is living, living as if what God has revealed about Himself is true. Living as if what God has revealed about who He is is true. Living as if God is trustworthy. Living as if God is worthy of our devotion. This is important. Faith is only a good thing if the object of my faith, what I'm believing in, is trustworthy. Would you agree with that? Faith's only a good thing. Trust is only a good thing if the thing I'm placing my faith in, the who in this case that I'm placing my faith in, my trust in, can be trusted. It's trustworthy. And so faith is living as if God is trustworthy. That God can be trusted. That I can believe that God is trustworthy. That He is worthy of my 
devotion. You see, if God could lie, He would not be worthy of our trust. But the Scriptures say He is dependable. Psalm 111 verse 7 says His precepts, His word, His precepts are trustworthy. Saving faith is not just an acknowledgement, a recitation of a certain set of facts about Jesus. Saving faith is not just, yeah, I believe that Jesus lived. Yeah, I believe that Jesus died. Yeah, I believe that Jesus was probably raised from the dead. Saving faith is not just, here's a set of facts that I acknowledge. Saving faith is putting my absolute trust and devotion into who God is. Faith is going all in with what I believe about who God is and how He has revealed Himself in Jesus. That I put my complete trust in who God is. That I, you know, the two lies, I don't need God. I get to determine right and wrong. Faith is the opposite of that. I do need God. God is what, who is true and trustworthy. Faith is the opposite of the big lie. Think about the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the, what was the second one? Truth. I am the life. Jesus is not saying, I am more truthful than you are. Jesus is not saying, I'm a better Christian than you are. Jesus is not saying, I get it right more than you get it right. Jesus is claiming He is not just better at telling the truth. Jesus is claiming He is the truth. I am the truth, Jesus says. He claims to be the standard. He claims to be the arbitrator of right and wrong, the judge of good and evil. In, that, in those words, Jesus is claiming to be equal with God. He's claiming to be God. That God is truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. The truth is a person. There's a fascinating conversation between Jesus and Pilate. Now, when he's standing before Pilate in John chapter 18, and Pilate, you know, who has the authority basically to uh, condemn Jesus to death or set Jesus free, engages in Jesus in this conversation, like trying to understand who he is and what are the charges against him. And so he brings up this idea with Jesus that like, do you understand what all these people are saying about you? Like, you're claiming to be these things, and are these things true? And you can see a little bit of this kind of inroad for Pilate, like he's, he's like kind of wanting to buy into the notoriety of Jesus. Like, can I get the inside scoop here? And so he tries to have this conversation with Jesus, and he basically can't get a lot out of Jesus. But they have this exchange about what the truth is. And I'm not going to read it all, uh, but look at verse 37, John 18. Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. And then look what Jesus says. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asked this fascinating, relevant question for us today. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus declares, 
I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And then notice what he says to Pilate. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, Jesus says. In other words, they've been called by me. They are a part of the truth. To which Pilate responds, what is truth? The question asked by Pilate is one of the most defining questions of our current day. What is truth? Who defines it? And according to Jesus, in this text, the short answer is, Jesus is truth. He is truth. To know Jesus is to know truth. So here's what that means. And we don't have time to break all this down. This is relevant in our culture of trying to understand truth. I'm just going to stick to the text right now. If we try and find truth, I'll just go two directions with it. One, by looking within. And man, this is so, so prevalent in our culture. Finding truth by looking inside of you. And we see it everywhere from Disney movies to Hollywood to your neighbor who is telling you the way to find truth is to look inside of you. Here's how we phrase it. Follow your what? Heart. Follow your heart. How many of you, and you're not throwing anybody under the bus right now, how many of you have heard that advice at some point in your life by a well-intentioned friend, family member, co-worker, whoever it might be, Facebook, you've heard that advice to you. It may be, I can't even think of their names right now, the Elsa or Anna. It may, but someone, you know who Elsa and Anna are, right? Like that's the frozen princesses, like the song that is so annoying to you as a parent. If your kid watches this movie over and over, the whole song that you hear blaring through your house that you can't get out of your head promotes what I'm talking about right now. And so the idea is that's the theology of frozen for you. Um, but how many of you would confess, like I have heard this type of advice at some point to follow my heart on something? Hold your hand up in confession, all of us, right? Because that is, look from within for the truth. We also hear, look outside of you to someone or something else. And when we do that, if we try and find truth by looking within us, and again, this is not just a Hollywood standard, this is most of our friends, let your heart be your guide. If we try and find truth by looking within or looking around to someone or something else, we will be left with the lie behind the lies. That we don't need God. And that we determine in this moment right and wrong by our own standards. And that is Romans 1 on repeat. And it's the direction... I don't have time to chase this. It is the direction that every culture takes at some point. That's what Romans 1 describes. And we're all up in arms about what's happening in our country and this and the morals and his and God get kicked out. And we are just, we're just walking the path that every culture takes. Obviously, we stand in that gap and we seek to proclaim the truth and proclaim the gospel. But America's headed the direction that every civilized culture ahead of it has taken. It is Romans 1 on repeat over and over and over again in human history. As followers of Jesus, we do not look within, meaning our own heart, which is deceptibly wicked. 
We don't look necessarily around to those around us for the truth. As followers of Jesus, we look to God and God alone who has revealed himself in Christ and in his word, which reveals the truth of who God is. Let me do just a drive-by on some verses here. 1 Samuel 15, 29, the glory of Israel will not lie. 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one. 31, the word of the Lord proves true. 1 Kings eight fifty six. not one word of his fails. Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth. Proverbs 30, verse 5, Every word of God proves true. You see, this idea that God is the truth makes everything that He says trustworthy, that He can be trusted. Hebrews 6.18 says it is impossible for God to lie. So we've got this established. God is the truth. What He says is trustworthy. What does that mean for me in everyday life? Just a few observations here. One, it means there is one true God. We hear that phrase a lot in Scripture, one true God. That idea of true ties to the truth. We could rattle off an endless amount of text here that affirms this. Deuteronomy 6.4, the foundation of uh, what Old Testament Israel about, the Lord our God is one God. There's one true God. Jeremiah 10.10, New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.5. These are all references about God being the one true God. And so when that phrase that there is one true God, and we see that phrase over and over in Scripture, one true God, what that implies is every other God, small g God, that we place on the, the throne of our hearts, every other God is false. There's only one true God. Everything, everyone that we elevate to that status reserved for God and God alone is a false God. You've heard me break this down practically before in your marriage. If you're making the person to whom you're married the ultimate in your life, if you're looking to them for your fulfillment and satisfaction, if alone, if I am doing that to Ashley, I am elevating her to a place that she's incapable of measuring up. I'm making her the ultimate in my life. The way that I can love Ashley most deeply is to keep God on the throne, right? That I need Him, that I'm resting in Him. And that enables me not to try to find my ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction from a person, but from God Himself, which enables me to love her more effectively. Same thing with our kids. We're probably more prone to do it with our kids than our spouses. That we place on them some ultimate value. That we find all of our satisfaction, meaning, and purpose from them. They can't measure up. None of my four, as awesome as they are, are capable of measuring up to that standard. It is wrong for me as a parent to ask them to. You know how I can love them most effectively? Love God with all of my heart, soul, and mind. Which enables me to allow them to be who they are and to love them most effectively. And not find all my fulfillment in them. And so there is one true God. This takes us back to the nature of God. Based on who God is, there cannot be many gods. There is one true God. And this is important in our kind of quasi-polytheistic, many gods, whatever God works for you culture. 
It is important to mention this essential belief of the Christian faith. There is one true God. The second thing I would say here, the primary tactic of the enemy is to get you from Genesis 3 forward to believe the lies. To believe the lies about God and believe the lies about who you are. For example, believing lies about God. To get you to believe that God can't be trusted. That you do not need God. That He is not a good God. That He is not in control. That He does not care about you. That you're not worthy of His love. That you've got to somehow earn His favor. These are all lies about God. To get you to believe that you know what is best for you. Lies about who God is. Lies about who we are. John Mark Comer, I just finished his book this week that talked a lot about this subject matter. Comer says in his book that there is not a soul who is not living in, at some level, bondage to lies. Bondage to lies. Here's the illustrations he used that I thought were relevant for us. The grown man who is who was berated by his father growing up, comes to believe, I'm only as good as I am successful at work. Because he's believed a lie from the time he was a child. The teenage girl who, comparing herself to this mirage of Instagram, comes to believe, I am ugly and I am unworthy of love. A high-energy child who is regularly scolded grows up to believe, I am a bad person. The business person whose business fails after the betrayal of a business partner and now believes, everything I do will fail. The middle-aged mom who was raised by an angry perfectionist mother and decades later still believes, I have to be perfect a perfect parent to have peace. You tracking? Lies about who we are. And the devil weaponizes these type of lies to sabotage our soul. It's why the words of Jesus in this conversation in John 8, we just sang these words a few minutes ago, but in John chapter 8, the words of Jesus are so important where he refers to Satan as the father of lies. You can go read the entire context on your own. But I want to point out uh, important words that we often reference here. He points out Satan is the father of lies. And this is our third thing. Not only God is uh, the true God and the enemy is looking to, to sabotage you with lies. But the third truth is, the third idea is Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth. And look what he says in John eight thirty one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Notice the progression of the words of Jesus here. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Be my disciple. Walk with me. Abide in Christ, and for those who are abiding in Christ, you will know the truth. You'll know the truth, and the truth is what will set you free. So Jesus says, in the face of the lies being propagated by the father of lies, Satan himself, in the face of lies, we can know the truth 
based on who Jesus is and based on who we are in Him. So Jesus says, if you want the truth, abide in me as my disciples. And that truth liberates you from the lies of the enemy. So back to our earlier definition of faith. Based on what we believe about who Jesus is, know the truth, right? Who Jesus is. Based on what we know and believe about who Jesus is, know the truth, we live as if what we believe is true. We believe that Jesus is the truth, the Son of God, who brings redemption to our sinful souls. So we live as if what we believe is true. We put our trust in Him, our faith in Him. We remain royal, loyal to Him. We remain devoted to Him. That's abide language. Abide in me. Remain loyal to me. Stay devoted to me. And you will understand the truth. Which leads us to our next point. Like God can be trusted. That Jesus is trustworthy. If what we have said about God is true, then He can be trusted. He is not like us. He is not like you. He is not like me. He cannot lie. He cannot manipulate you. He cannot deceive you. He cannot trick you. Here's what that means practically. Hear me closely. Jesus is not like your destructive ex who is constantly trying to tear you down with lies. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not like your spurious teenager that you're constantly wondering, are they telling me the truth? It's not Jesus. Jesus is not like that friend who betrayed you when you needed him or her the most. Jesus is not like your deceptive dad or mom that you didn't know whether you could even believe them or not or the words that were coming out of their mouth you knew were a lie and you still kind of feel that way even when you're an adult. You can't trust that what they're saying to you is true. And man, that scars us and that wounds us. Jesus is not that. He is not that deceptive parent. Jesus is not that manipulating spouse that you always feel like, what's going on behind the scenes? And why can't I check their phone? And what am I going to, what am I going to find if I dig deeply? Or is what he or she is saying to me the truth? Or were they really where they claim to be? And are they really doing these things and not doing these things? Jesus is not manipulative of you. He is not deceiving you. You can trust him. He is trustworthy. Jesus is not like your gossipy coworker. Jesus is not like your dishonest boss. All of these things, right? They mark us. They shape us. They keep us at an arm's distance from people. They keep us at an arm's distance from God. But I want to tell you, He can be trusted. He is trustworthy. Lean into Him. He will not disappoint you. He will not deceive you. He will not let you down. He can be trusted. He is the truth. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will not mislead you. He is good. He is trustworthy. God keeps His promises. He will complete what He began. He is faithful in everything and in every way. Here's our last one. As we abide in Christ, 
as we treasure Jesus, as we lean into who he is, as we lean into who we are in Christ, you know what the fruit of the Spirit is that, that comes out in that moment? We become more truthful people. The truth begins to shape us. God values and prizes the truth. The scripture has a lot to say about truth-telling. As a matter of fact, it makes the big ten, doesn't it? Like in the Ten Commandments, one of them has to do with telling the truth. As followers of the truth, we seek to emulate Jesus. We seek to be people of truth and integrity and honesty. Paul says in Ephesians 4.25, put off falsehood. Shed it. Put off the lie and speak truthfully. We live as truthful people. So important what I'm going to say right here. We live as truthful people not by trying harder to tell the truth. Not by trying harder to stop lying. We live as truthful people by running to Jesus. The truth is a person. And his name is Jesus. And he is full of grace. And he is full of truth. Run to him. Don't buy into the lie behind the lies. We need God. We are not self-sufficient. Right and wrong are not defined by our wants, needs, and desires. Truth is defined by who he is, by what he says, and he can be trusted. Here's what the gospel says. Jesus died because of a lie. And I'm not talking just about the fact that people lied about Jesus and falsely accused him. Jesus died because of the lie behind the first lie from the father of lies. He died for our sin. He died for our lies. He died for the lie. Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter 3, when it all went down. What happened? Adam and Eve tell this lie, right? They buy into the lie. They begin to lie and they hide themselves as the, the last part of the text we just read in verse 7. They were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves loincloths. Now, think about this picture. They've lied. They've bought into the lie. What does God do? I love Genesis 3, 8, 9. And they, this is Adam and Eve, after they've lied, after they bought into the lie, they heard the sound of the Lord God doing what? Walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves, right? Their lies have been exposed. So the natural result of that is they hide themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. What does God do? Does God head back to heaven? Does God say, oh, they've blown it? I'm going to withdraw I'm transcendent. I'm removed. My holiness will not allow me any, any interaction here. No. What does God do? God seeks them out. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The first question of God in all of Scripture is a seeking question. Where are you at? Where are you? Are they playing hide and seek? And God's like, All right, what's the trick? What's the game here? I can't find you. Where are you? No. God is voicing His pursuit of them. Where are you? Where are you? He is seeking them out. 
God seeks them knowing that they had lied. God seeks us knowing we have lied. We have bought into the lie. God seeks out those who have bought into the lie behind the lies. That's the gospel. That he comes pursuing us as sinners and liars. That he pursues us to tell us you can trust the truth. You can trust the truth. And so as we lean into the truth, the lie behind the lies, by the father of lies, is put to death. Trust who he is. Allow who he is to define who you are as we abide in Christ. And what does Jesus say when you do that? My disciples, as you abide in me, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free from the lies that plague your soul.